0: It's the daily podcast trying to make long-term sense out of the chaos of today's global crisis. Given that we're all stuck at home, how do we view the world of the coronavirus crisis, of the pandemic? One way, of course, is to look at it through social media and perhaps the most popular uh, photographic social media site, is Instagram. Uh, Sarah Fryer is a Bloomberg tech reporter and the author of a brand new book, the first serious book about Instagram entitled No Filter. Uh, Sarah, is Instagram a good window onto the pandemic world?
1: Well, right now, we're seeing a very different Instagram than what we're used to. We are seeing that people are are sharing a little bit of their vulnerability and they're sharing their anxiety and their depression around what's happening right now and and it's it's a little bit less of the the peacocking, the personal branding, the um promotional aspect of Instagram that we've become so used to, that has so shaped our economy over the last decade. And and I, I think that the other thing that we've really seen change on Instagram is how people use it. It's not just for scrolling through updates. People are tuning into live video more than ever, live concerts, live tutorials, live workout sessions. And they're also using messaging a whole lot more. So we have seen that that social media products, including Instagram, have really become part of the infrastructure of our society, uh, something to keep us connected to each other as we're all at home.
0: So let me quote something from the book. It's, it's a really good book. And uh, it, it's a great time to come out with such an important book. You say, we take photos and videos of our food, our faces, our favorite scenery, our families, and our interests and share them, hoping that they reflects something about who we are and who we aspire to be. Um, Who do you think we collectively aspire to be in the pandemic? Are there generalizations we can make, particularly uh, from getting a sense of what we're doing today on Instagram? Are, Are we more human, more sympathetic, more empathetic?
1: Well, the interesting thing about Instagram is that it has really made us, for better or for worse, so much more self conscious about how other people view us and and we've all been trained on building something of a personal brand there you you know you don't really post a photo unless you feel like it's going to reflect something about you that you want the world to see and and that's just human nature. what's happened in the pandemic is that we have really been self conscious in a in a good way about not trying to to post anything that would be insensitive or, um, you know, not about the most important issue at hand or with, you know, with consideration for how people are suffering right now. You wouldn't, you wouldn't post going out to a Michelin star restaurant or going on an amazing vacation. You wouldn't even post memories of, of those things as often as you might have. And, and I think that that's. Probably a good thing that we have we have trained ourselves to have a lot more empathy now the the self-consciousness of Instagram remains and the striving for follower account remains I think that's just part of how we measure our relevance in society right now and and in addition to relevance how you know a lot of people's economic potential are tied into their Instagram so it's been interesting to see that. On the flip side, get very disrupted. People who are used to selling optimism, used to selling an aspirational lifestyle on Instagram, can't do it the same way.
0: You note, though, in your history of Instagram, that the value and success of of, of the product was always built. And again, I'm quoting you here on raw and vulnerable content. What hole do you think did Instagram fill in our culture when it? began to become popular, what, eight or nine years ago.
1: So you're right. I mean, it's a way to show people, give people a window into your life. And it's not so much about um, sharing your milestones or, or your career progress like you might on other social networks. It's more about showing how, how interesting your life is and what you've seen and what you've done and who you've done it with. And And I think what Instagram did, fundamentally, in the very early days, Instagram was a way for people to become photographers, we all ended up having in was founded in 2010, we all had, uh, or more of us were starting to have smartphones, which had cameras. But there really wasn't a way to use the cameras. Well, I mean, the the Photo quality was very grainy. The lighting was very dark. And Instagram came along with these artistic filters that would make our photos look more professional. But the
0: filters, but the irony, and I guess the irony is also in the title of your book, the filters were designed to appear as if there were no filters. Is that fair?
1: That's fair, yeah. I mean, it it was designed to make whatever you had done instantly turn into a nostalgic memory and that goes to you know the founder Kevin Sistrom had a photography background he had studied abroad in Florence where he learned ph- photographic development technique so he knew how to take a, a photo that would be how he would make it look more professional or more art- artistic and so it was different than the other there were some other filter tools at the time but they were very obvious, like they would they would up the contrast to the point where you absolutely knew that it was filtered, they would put grainy uh, burnt edges on your pictures. It was a little bit hokey. And Instagram's filters really felt professional. And they started out with the service of promoting it to creatives, artists, musicians in urban areas who knew how to create good photographic content. And then as more people joined Instagram, that was the example set for them as to what Instagram was for.
0: Sarah, this is a bit of a a chicken and egg question, but do you think that Instagram fed our appetite for authenticity or did the sophisticated Filters of Instagram itself create that appetite for authenticity, because it it seems to me that the success of Instagram is built around the contemporary cult of of the authentic and the authentic life.
1: Well, but at the same time, it's not very authentic, right? Because everyone is being strategic. So right, being...
0: but uh, but, uh, my, but I think authenticity, by definition, is in, inauthentic. Anyone who uses that word, by definition, is inauthentic. But oh that's yeah, another, every, every that's influencer I talk to,
1: every influencer I talk to for the book, you know, of course, the top thing they say is you know we have to be you have to be real, you have to be authentic, but you have to do it in a in a very strategic way, um, and and so yeah, I mean, I think. I think that we do crave human connection even with people who we are not we don't know in real life and and one of the powerful things about Instagram and the connection you get with people there is they show you into their lives and they sort of develop this rapport with the, with an audience it's not it's not so much like other social media where there's there's a a a friend you friend somebody and then you're both connected on Instagram. Everyone has an audience and everything they post is something that only they have created. So someone's Instagram account is the purest representation of who they are. And, you know, even if you're a a YouTuber or someone who's big on Twitter, your Instagram account is where people can go to see, okay, what is this person about? What do they like? How do they spend their time? And and I think that that's that's a really powerful thing because then then people through their Instagram have built a an identity around certain things, uh, whether that's that's beauty or or art or um, slime, any number of meme accounts, and then people can go to them for that purpose and say, okay, if you like this, then maybe that's this is good. And it's really reshaped our economy because, whereas in the in the past, you know, people would just look on Amazon and sort through all of these reviews and try to figure out what product to buy, we had this real crisis of choice. There are so many different ways to buy products for your home, or you can just listen to a trusted person on Instagram whose style you like, or who looks like you, or who has a similar. Uh, way of thinking about the world, and you could just buy whatever they tell you to buy. I
0: I, I buy the I, idea of Instagram shaping the the pre pandemic economy. But in in uh, in, in April twenty twenty, as more and more of us are suffering terrible economic and physical hardship, do you think we'll look back at the 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 the, the first? Chapter, perhaps, in the history of Instagram, rather wistfully, nostalgically, and think that's when we were innocent. That's when we were charmed by influencers. That's when we were seduced by the cult of of celebrity.
1: Well, Instagram has gone through many stages. So the first stage that I would talk about is is the the nostalgic. Everyone's a photographer now. Let's all go on on photo walks and do photo challenges and, and experience our world in a new way now that we have these smartphones, but eventually people gain followings and, and economic uh, power through those followings. And then this phase of Instagram is, is, I think you mentioned it, it is more, it's more vulnerable. It's more about human connection. It's hard to say where this will take us, but, um, the the experience economy I think is going to really be transformed forever because for the last few years Instagram has trained us all to really value uh, beautiful imagery that we can add to our Instagram so it it hasn't just changed our online behavior it's changed our offline beh- behavior we'll go to restaurants more we'll go to on trips to new countries more and and as opposed to spending our money on on physical goods like cars and homes and and such like that um in this post covid or during covid world no one's going on vacation you can't um no one's going to a restaurant uh or ordering a instagrammable cocktail but i still have seen people trying to to share content that's extremely visual there's been a bread baking boom a lot of people are are trying to create fancy baked goods at home Um, so it comes in different in different ways like we're still very trained to communicate with each other visually and and reward visual content that's that's fascinating or immersive it's just not going to be the same kind
0: um sarah you're a, a bloomberg tech reporter so you're very familiar with the the economics of instagram your narrative is in many ways shaped by the experience of um, instagram being bought by facebook both the upsides of that obviously in economic terms it made a small group of people very rich but also the reality of instagram existing within the facebook empire and mark zuckerberg's impact ultimately on Instagram, both as a product and as a business. Uh, explain how Zuckerberg shaped or reshaped Instagram.
1: Zuckerberg has a had a very distinct st- or currently has, I should say, a very distinct style of growing Facebook. He wants to only make the moves that affect the most people at once. He is always striving for higher growth potential for all products. Uh, and with that comes a lot of tactics that are that are kind of hacky. Uh, he wants to throw a lot of products at the public to see what sticks. They're always experimenting. They're always, you know, it's the move fast and break things mentality. It's the constant notifications that you get on Facebook and email prompts trying to re-engage you. Instagram was really uh, not a fan of all of that. I mean, they wanted to build a community that was very aspirational and, and creative and curated. And they didn't want it to be a place that would spam you with with red dot notifications or emails or, you know, beg you to come back. They wanted you to go there because you wanted to be there. So there was a lot of clash even in the earliest days of Instagram's acquisition by facebook back in 2012 and that was
0: particularly between zuckerberg and or zuckerberg's team and uh, and kevin sistrom the founder and the original photographer a stanford grad and very much of a kind of purist intellectually right
1: right and he he was about you know self improvement um using instagram as a place to like learn from the experts of of whether he followed on his instagram he follows like interior designers and cyclists and, uh, chefs. And he just, he likes to dive in deep into things. And the way that he felt that Instagram should grow is by curating and highlighting its best users. Um, so they would, they would have relationships developed with people who anyone from, you know, the best chefs and, and, uh, best pet owners and the best skateboarders, all of these people who were building their followings on Instagram, Instagram's editorial team would promote their content, cater to them. And, and Facebook just thought that this was ridiculous because why would you ever cater to a single user when you could build something for tens of millions or hundreds of millions of them? Um, but actually for Instagram, it worked. and And over time, they gained this cultural cachet, unlike Facebook had, and in 2016, fresh off of Instagram's copycatting of Snapchat stories, the the Instagram popularity was really accelerating. They were well on their way to 1 billion users, and meanwhile Facebook was in crisis. It was after the 2016 presidential election, had a lot of questions about whether Facebook was good for our society. And as this this contrast between these two products owned by the same company evolved, Mark Zuckerberg was threatened by Instagram's success. Even though he owned it, he was worried that if Instagram continued to grow uh, with Facebook's help, that it would cannibalize Facebook's potential. He would use the word cannibalization to describe it, and so he ended up cutting off resources to Instagram and restricting how much they could hire, um, restricting the, the links on Facebook that would take people to Instagram, and meanwhile, asking Instagram to redirect people to Facebook. And so that was a really frustrating situation for Instagram founders. And you know, if you don't know the story, it's a spoiler alert, uh, they end up leaving their creation at the end of my book. But there's a lot more in there, trust me.
0: Uh, Sarah, how aggressively is Zuckerberg trying to integrate Instagram, and for that matter, WhatsApp, into the Facebook platform to turn it into one product, perhaps in a way to scare off regulators who may in the future want to break the company up?
1: Zuckerberg wants to build a mega network. He wants Instagram, Facebook, WhatsApp to all be so tied together on the on the back end behind the scenes, so that users can have different product experiences, like I can use Instagram, and you can use WhatsApp, but we can still talk to each other across those networks. And, and we should also know that they are owned by Facebook, so that we can thank Facebook for our, our, uh, you know, incredible ability to connect with one another. So that's really what he's what he's seeing. And yeah, you're right, it does have huge implications for the antitrust investigations into Facebook because as regulators are we have the FTC the DOJ 47 state attorneys general just in the US looking into in, into Facebook's power and as they're deliberating what that means for us and whether it is it has been as a result of anti-competitive behavior Facebook is merging these products behind the scenes and it's it's causing a you know Instagram if they want to solve problems on Instagram they have to do it through the central Facebook integrity team and there are consequences of that for Instagram users because Instagram will never be the top priority for Facebook in terms of problem solving it's always going to be an afterthought and when you have a network that has the level of cultural impact that i discussed and and they're not they're like a second priority because Facebook is bigger that really affects how well they can take down some of the more harmful content on Instagram, um, which, you know, may not be the same kind of harmful content that you find on Facebook.
0: So Sarah, as we talk, I'm I'm getting the sense that you may not be presenting Facebook or Mark Zuckerberg as the evil empire, but they're also not the heroes of your book. I know Zuckerberg didn't you, you tried to get an interview or a conversation with him for the book and he didn't give it, he gave you a one-liner after many months of trying. But are you suggesting more broadly outside the issue of Instagram, in in your experience in writing this book and and, and spending um, so much time thinking about the Instagram story, are you suggesting that we shouldn't trust Zuckerberg, that he may indeed be a danger um, to, uh, to society?
1: My goal is to help people understand how this company thinks and and to really get a sense of when we when our behavior is shaped by these platforms to understand how and why and what's going on so that we can make so that users of these products can make informed decisions about how they want to engage with them i think there are a lot of amazing things that have happened on on facebook and instagram i you know zuckerberg sometimes really has been helpful right right now with the the coronavirus crisis, Zuckerberg has been very aggressive about getting better information to Facebook users, and he's been doing live Q&As with epidemiologists. He's filling something of a leadership vacuum. That doesn't change the fact that he has tremendous power and has really under-invested in making these products safe for users to the extent that he could have, especially the products that are not his main flagship Facebook app. And so I, I think that like power needs to be interrogated and it, it needs to be interrogated, not just through what we see happening, but through like the motivations of the people building it, um, how it affects what gets done and what doesn't get done. And when a company like Facebook, which has such a tremendous amount of profit margin, when they say they don't have the resources to tackle something, that just means they haven't prioritized it. And so we need to interrogate those priorities and think about how we can, as users push the companies to be better.
0: That's a a, a healthily unfiltered take on Mark Zuckerberg and Facebook. Uh, Sarah, f- finally, I usually ask, uh, I ask people what, they, what they've been reading in the crisis. But given that you're such an expert on Instagram, rather than asking you for a suggestion of a book, perhaps you might direct our listeners to one Instagram account that, in your mind at least, captures the brilliance and perhaps the lack of brilliance of, of, of Instagram as a product and as a cultural phenomenon.
1: I recommended this on a, a separate event yesterday, but I'll do it again. I just love this account. It's called Pasta Grannies. It is these Italian grandmothers featured on Instagram who are making their own pasta and have been doing it for like decades. And and it's just it's just wonderful to see that level of of craftsmanship around pasta. I love pasta. It's inspired me to make pasta myself. So that's like maybe the more heartwarming content people need right now, especially as these women are in Italy, which is a extremely hard hit by the virus, as you know.
0: You've been listening to Keynote hosted by me, Andrew Key. Make sure to join us the rest of this season as we explore how to fix capitalism. Make sure and the team at Lit Hub Radio. See you next week, and thanks so much for listening.